Our first reading from Genesis chapter 18 and beginning at verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me go get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed, then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Second reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that you are a God who blesses and longs to bless his faithful ones, his children. And we ask, Father, that as we ponder your word this morning, reveal your very goodness to us, touch our hearts afresh, Lord, renew us in our desire to serve you, to bear witness to you, 
and to seek your kingdom above all things, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember when younger, newly married, uh, and maybe even when we have had children and parents were coming to visit. I don't know if you remember those times or experienced those things, what it felt like and how you wanted everything to be just so. And there would be kind of renewed attempts to get the house clean and prepared, the children behaved, dressed, looking well, uh, because there was a, a sense of excitement at their coming. Uh, there was a part of you wanted to show off the home and... Uh, some degree of cleanliness perhaps, <laughs> um, but essentially who you were and what you were doing. And I think there are some parallels in that as we ponder these words of Jesus, kind of sober words. This is Christ the King Sunday, as I've said in the church's calendar, when we recognize and acknowledge Jesus as King, as Lord, and none more so than through this story that he tells around the events of his coming. The context of this particular story in Matthew's Gospel began in chapter 24 as he and his disciples were leaving the temple and they turned and looked and said to Jesus, wow, just look at this building, look at these stones, look how wonderful this is. And Jesus begins to tell them about what needs to be their right priorities and about the coming end of the age. He first talks about the temple and its impending destruction destruction, which was to be a, a judgment against Israel, and then ultimately the whole world. And he tells three parables, one about being prepared, one about reading the signs and taking responsibility as stewards uh, of God's resources and God's goodness. And he's writing Matthew, in that sense, in a, a different style or language. It's called apocalyptic uh, and it seems strange to us. <coughs> and Jesus concludes with the story of the sheep and the goats. Jesus is the Lord of glory. He's coming with his attendant angels seated upon his throne. It's the language of ruling and reigning. For he is the one with all authority as king, as Lord. He's been given a name by the Father which is above every name, before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His kingdom will be one that is fully established, meaning there will be no room for rebellion against his wishes. He's been patient so far, and we are beneficiaries of his patience and his long-suffering. But ultimately, for each one of us, our hope has to be in his full expression of justice and of love. It's like the story of the wheat and the tares, where the weeds are left amongst the good crop, in the same way the sheep and the goats are a picture of good and evil together. But Jesus is to return as judge. And what's going to make a difference in that judgment is the difference between what we did and didn't do, as his story concludes, and which I entitled this sermon. Jesus will judge according to works. 
That may seem an uncomfortable reality and a fear that we're drifting into salvation by works. And I want to show you that's not the case. But salvation without works is a problem too. We're saved by grace fundamentally through faith, a living faith. That means that it's a faith that's seen in action, in our behavior. And that is what we call works. James himself says, faith without works is dead. And to not see that, to James, was foolishness. But remember, in all this, God is still for us. He's on our side. <laughs> he is generous and compassionate. And he wants us to flourish, to be fulfilled, to experience fullness of life that Jesus came to bring. This last Sunday, quite fortunately, we finished up our workshop on freedom and fullness. Jesus sets us free, but he desires that we live in this fullness because of his heart for us. And his MO, if you like, has always been grace. Talked about earlier on in, in life, in married life and family life. And I've shared before, sometimes as I look back, I look back with grief at the ways in which I sometimes treated the person I love the most, Carol, my wife. And um, thinking about it, there were times when I wanted to fix Carol. I wanted her to behave in ways that I thought were appropriate. And I used means that were totally inappropriate to that effect. And those things hurt her. Command and control is not a healthy model, certainly within a marriage. Um, and it's not a model that God himself follows. I've been watching with Carol the recent uh, uh, series for The Crown on Netflix. And interesting, just last night, watching the dynamics in the marriage of um, Charles and Diana and his attempts to get her to conform to a certain style of behavior that was expected within the royal family. It wasn't good. It wasn't healthy. It became abusive. One of the things I've learned through the years is the importance of love expressed through acts of kindness, giving freely, without condition. And I've, gone to, I've begun to see the, the blessing uh, of that, not just for me, actually, but in, more importantly, for the, the beneficiary, and in this case, Carol. Now, it's not just Jesus who speaks about the importance of works. Remember in our reading, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. A stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. These are all things that were done. They were all actions, works in that sense. But we see also that in the writings of the apostles in the New Testament. Paul in Romans says, Romans chapter 2, for God will repay each person according to what they have done. There will be glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. There we have it, the doing, the behavior, the outworking of our faith. The Apostle Peter puts it like this, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Yes, the judgment is impartial, but it's the judgment of what we have done with the grace that has been given. 
And then the Apostle John in the Revelation says this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The dead were judged according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. That's from Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and 13. Back to Matthew's Gospel, which our reading is from, and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, Jesus also says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in, in heaven. So it's not just about saying, Lord, Lord, but it's about having him as our Lord, submitted to him, yielded to him, and therefore yielded to the things to which he calls us. And when we do that, when we yield to him, when we yield to our spouse, to our masters, to those in authority, and when we do that out of love and gratitude, then we will most naturally want to serve, ultimately, the God who loves us. In many ways, this is a call to, I think, authentic discipleship. Not just saying, Lord, Lord, but having him as Lord and working that out in our lives. Authentic followers of the way of Christ and not just church going. That's one of the blights of Christendom um, that has been in place for many hundreds of years now. In many ways, we might be thinking that those who stay with the church today are so those who really do worship Jesus as Lord and want to express his life. One of the reasons I included this passage from Genesis, Genesis 18, um, just something I've been reading and reflecting upon lately. At the beginning of this chapter 18, there are kind of three scenarios. First of all, the Lord appears to Abraham. Then three visitors appear to him, and then he gives them hospitality. Interestingly, within the Christian tradition, um, in verse 2, and Abraham says these words, Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. That word, Lord is Adonai. It's the same word for God, but it can also mean sirs. It could be a term addressed to the, the visitors. And, and many within the Christian tradition see that one of the visitors was actually the pre-incarnate Lord. And that's why this language was used. But generally it's felt that that, uh, that word is addressed to the visitors and not to the Lord who had first appeared to Abraham. Within Judaism and the interpretation of the Torah, very much this word was seen as a word to God. And it's as if Abraham was saying to God, could you just hold on a minute? I've got some visitors and it's important for me to express hospitality. And it's almost that he puts hospitality above receiving the divine presence. And that shaped Judaism significantly in terms of the, the importance of showing hospitality. An understanding that we honor God by honoring those who are made in his image, one another. And I wonder if some of this understanding about both the nature of God and human beings shaped Jesus' teaching 
in certainly in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, but also maybe in this story of the sheep and the goats. There's lots of ways in which we can show kindness, and I want you to watch this video. I hope it's inspiring to you as it was to me. upon how Jesus both identifies with and cares for his people. In verse 40 we, we read, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did 
for me. This is ultimately what changes us. It's certainly what changed me. Jesus' connection with us, our oneness with him. That oneness is more than an association. It's a unity. It's a two becoming one. And when this truth about the nature of God touches our hearts, we are changed. Our desires change. We want to be those who would serve out of humility. Interestingly, I think that's true in human relationships as it is in our relationship with God. And certainly one of the the fruits that I've seen in my relationship with Carol is that the more that I devote myself to serving her, to simply giving to her in ways that are meaningful, the more that she wants to give to me. And the more actually that I see her flourishing in her own identity and who God has called us, her to be as a woman. And I think this serving is a fundamental sign and evidence of the kingdom of God, of the righteousness of God at work, even faith working itself out through love. And the call is to have a particular concern, I believe, for the household of God, not exclusively so, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because that is to love Christ. That is essentially what we get from the story of Abraham. And we see the converse of that in, in uh, the story of Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the apostle, the apostle. But in those moments when Paul was going about persecuting the church, when Jesus meets him and knocks him off his horse, he accuses him of persecuting him. And so the opposite is true. There's a suggestion in this passage uh, in Matthew of the sheep and the goats that links back to the episode in Matthew 10 when Jesus sends out his disciples on their missionary journey. He sends them out in many ways in weakness, without resources, without provisions. And one of the, the amazing things is, is that God provides through his people. God is already at work, you see. And that's one of the things that the disciples discovered. They found God already at work in those to whom he had sent them, the people of peace, ready for the message. And after their return, Jesus says this, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. There's an excitement in me for what is to come for us as a community. Right now we're experiencing more stringent lockdown, but this too shall end. And the kingdom of God does not cease, and its advance does not cease. I've spoken about wanting to make 2021 a year in which we emphasize and increase our experience of evangelism, of serving the needs beyond the church, of witnessing to and telling the story of Jesus. And I believe we're going to encounter people of peace who are going to be not just recipients of the message, but those who are going to serve us out of gratitude for what we have shared them. Someone once said that we are to live as though Jesus is coming back today. Remember, he comes back to judge, as the judge, as the Lord of glory. But we're to plan as though he's not coming back for a hundred years. We know that he will return and judge according to works. But we remember too that Jesus is the God who identifies with and cares for us, his people. 
So let's heed his call. Let's take seriously his works. And let's be a people about the works of his kingdom for the glory of his name. Amen.